Hi, I'm Blair Brigham. Hi, and I'm Mojala Male. And this is the CMAJ Podcast. Uh, so Blair, today we are talking about some really fascinating research uh, in concussions in uh, hockey, young hockey players that was recently published in the CMAJ. That's right. We're looking at body checking and rates of injury in ice hockey players who are aged 15 to 17 years old. And Jola, I feel like this is like a perennial Canadian controversy, whether or not teenagers and kids should be checking when they play hockey. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I kind of see the broad aspects uh, to other sports too, like other contact sports. And I, I, it's very interesting to observe because as concussion research has been moving forward, we know that sustaining concussions at a younger age does have deleterious effects on your mental health, your mood and um, other things later on in life. Absolutely. And it's interesting how they sort of separate out checking from other physical contact. I had sort of thought either there's physical contact or there's not in a lot of these sports, but they really do seem to have these different grades or levels of physical contact with checking being sort of the highest level. Yes. And um, I, I, I found that some of their research was really fascinating. The fact that having more experience with checking did not lead to having a lower risk of concussions. Right. You would think that if you were trained to take a hit, that the hit might not be as consequential, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah. And I'm really interested in finding out, you know, what exactly the training is for these for kids. Well, let's jump right into it with our two guests. Paul Eliason is a postdoctoral fellow at the Sports Injury Prevention Research Center at the University of Calgary. And Carolyn Emery is a physiotherapist and epidemiologist and Canada Research Chair at the University of Calgary. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. So this research is part of a long-running conversation within the sport of hockey in Canada and about the risk and benefits of permitting body checking. Let's start with the benefits. What are the arguments in favor of body checking in hockey? Um, well, there's some that think it's part of the game and it's really exciting and that, so that component is really um, important to keep in part of the game and especially for the high-level athletes to prepare them for development into higher levels of hockey and those that'll go into semi-professional and professional levels of hockey. So your study tested this argument specifically. What were you looking at? So we have really strong evidence that if you disallow body checking in youth ice hockey games, you're going to reduce all injuries and you're going to reduce concussions. But there's still some in the hockey community that think that body checking should be introduced earlier because that experience to body checking that the players will gain will help protect them from injuries and concussions when they go up in the older age categories where policy allows body checking in games. So that's what we wanted to examine in our study is association between body checking experience and rates of injury and concussion specifically. And when we talk about body checking experience, are these youth athletes actually getting, do they have like a training session on how to do body checking properly, Carolyn? So the training of the skill of body checking continues even in early younger age groups. And what we're talking about here is disallowing body checking within the game setting. And so in the study that Paul led, he was interested in the experience that players had in leagues that allowed body checking in games. 
And so it was really important for us as a team to work really closely with our Hockey Canada partners and other hockey associations to really ensure that there weren't any unintended consequences of delaying body checking in games until an older age group and more elite levels of play. And I think that this study showed in spades that that there was not unintended consequences of delaying body checking. In fact, those kids who had fewer years of body checking experience in games were actually protected. And it was the kids who had three or more years of body checking experience that were actually at the highest risk of concussion and all injuries. So that sounds quite counterintuitive that like the more experience you have with body checking, the higher your rate of concussions were. Paul, can you just can you shed light on like why do you think that was the results that you got? Yeah, so it's it was actually exactly opposite of what people in the hockey community thought, which was surprising. So we think that the the higher rates of injury and concussion with those that had more body checking experience or more greater years of body checking experience could be related to the higher levels of play and the skill and speeds of play within the game. And that wouldn't be captured by any of the covariates that we examined in the study. So there was some earlier studies that looked at the differences in concussions between kids playing hockey in Quebec and Alberta. What did those studies show? Well, these were some of our very first studies over a decade ago. And we were we have a natural experiment here in place because in, in Quebec, they've actually disallowed body checking in 11 and 12 year old leagues uh, many, many years ago. And in other provinces at that time, body checking was permitted in games in 11 and 12 year old leagues. So what we were able to demonstrate in that early study was that the rate of concussion was fourfold greater in Alberta leagues compared to Quebec leagues where body checking was allowed in that young pediatric wow. age group. That's that's quite that's quite staggering. This early study led to the later work, which was again to better understand as well what happened when policy did change to disallow body checking in games in older age groups, first 13 and 14 year olds, previously Bantam, and then later in midget 15 to 17 year olds in non-elite levels of play. And we also demonstrated a significant protective effect in reducing the rates of injury and concussion in these older non-elite levels of play. And it's important to consider when we talk about non-elite levels of play, it's still 60 to 70% of players in the adolescent age groups who are in the non-elite levels of play and now in many jurisdictions not exposed to rules that allow body checking in games. Wow. And so what has the response been from the Hockey Association to this research? I think it's fair to say we've we've been working really closely with Hockey Canada, our provincial associations and local associations for, for certainly well over 15 years now. And I can say that early on, there was certainly a lot of decision making based on pressure from the community. And I would suggest that over time, they became more interested in understanding really the evidence to support these important decisions to bring more safety to the game, to protect kids from concussion and other severe injuries, and frankly, to keep more kids playing the game. And so we continue to work very closely with them. And this is why it was really important. It wasn't a done deal that body checking is only at certain age groups and certain levels of play. Um, they really under want to understand the potential unintended consequences of significant policy change such as these. And so let's pivot to like girls hockey where there's no checking. 
What's causing the high rates of concussions in girls hockey? We still see, despite not having body checking allowed in the female game, there's still a significant amount of collisions that occur. And it's if anyone that's watched some of the female games, they certainly see that they're, uh, they're very full of contact. Uh, they have a lot of contact in their games. And a lot of that has led to some of the concussions that we see. We don't have as much evidence in female hockey, I'd say, as we do in some of the predominantly boys' leagues. Carolyn, anything you want to add to that? No, I think just to say it's it's a high-paced game and in some respects a collision sport and that we're still seeing body checking in the game. It's not always penalized, even though it's not permitted within the game and on the girls' side. Certainly high speeds and high contacts and, and then other risk factors that are borne by female players. So such as a previous concussion history and a differential sizes and things like that are also important considerations. So we do still see high rates of concussion and injury on the girls' side of the game. And I guess, Carol, I just want to just touch base a bit on what are some of the ramifications that we've seen with this age group having exposure to concussion earlier in their life? Well, I think one of the big factors is that we probably have about 50% of players in Adolescent League have had a previous concussion. And having a previous concussion also increases the risk of future concussion. We don't know if this is related to that previous concussion or if it's inherent in the risk factors associated with an individual and their genetics and other factors. But we do see Mm -hmm. a huge risk of multiple concussions in ice hockey that we want to avoid. And I would say also that obviously on the management side of things, really critical. Um, People are familiar with with Rowan's Law in Ontario and now in other provinces where it's really important to make sure that players are not going back onto the ice if they have had a suspected concussion and uh, as well that they are managed appropriately. So they seek medical advice and they are assessed by a physician and that they go through appropriate return to play strategies to ensure that they're safe when they do go back and that they have recovered fully from their previous concussion. Is that practically speaking, does that actually happen? I'd say that uh, we've come a long way in uh, the last decade and Paul's still playing and coaching and uh, he's refereed a lot. But I would say we have come a long way in terms of coaches identifying kids who may have had a suspected concussion and uh, keeping them off the ice. There's certainly much more awareness for a number of reasons, but I'll let Paul talk about his experience because I have, it's been quite a few years since I've been on the ice coaching with my kids. Yeah, Paul, tell us a little bit about that uh, from the coach's perspective. I would say it, it's all the way from the management down. So club associations are more aware about concussions and the importance of concussions. It trickles down to the coaches as well as to the players. Players are more aware about concussions, certainly more of the older players than, I guess the, than the younger age groups. But I think there is still that shift that Carolyn talked about 10 years ago. Concussion awareness certainly being reported in the media has helped for players to help report symptoms to their coaches and to the medical staff if their team has that. Certainly for coaches to be more aware of looking for signs of concussion and then pulling their player if they're worried about it and, and if they suspect a concussion. So it's come a long way about the awareness of concussion really from top down, in my opinion. Do you think the study really solidifies that there is that there shouldn't be body checking in like non-elite uh, hockey for kids? So I think so. I think this really shows that a thought in the hockey community that more experience is going to be better. It's going to protect players from injury and concussion specifically. It's not true. It doesn't hold. And I think the prior work that showed the significant reductions in injury and concussions by disallowing body checking and the non-lead age groups has been really strong. So I think for the under 15, under 18 age groups, disallowing body checking at 
non-elite levels. It's really important to pr protect against injuries and concussions, keep them healthy, keep them in the game and playing longer, and also an opportunity for them to continue to focus on their skill development. Are there sports that are safer than hockey? The concussion rates in other sports, are they any different? We focus a lot on hockey. Is that just because it's Canada's national sport or are other sports sort of equally dangerous when it comes to concussion? Well, I can speak to that. Certainly ice hockey with body checking in the game is certainly one of the top four sports for concussion in terms of high concussion rates. And the others would be uh, American football or tackle football, rugby and lacrosse. And so I think that there's a lot of opportunity to reduce this risk through various prevention strategies. And one of those is the laws of the game, or in this case, policy in youth ice hockey and providing opportunities for competitive play without body checking permitted within the game setting certainly reduces this risk substantially. And at the same time, I'm going to say that Hockey Canada and uh, provincial and, and local associations put a lot of emphasis on the development of the skill of body checking so that kids don't miss out on this skill development for when they're of the right age and size and competitive to be part of uh, a more elite league. And, uh, and I think that's a really important piece. This policy didn't come into play without the consideration of opportunities for kids who may not be at a level to play in an elite league in a younger age group, but may become larger and more skilled and, and then able to, to play in body checking leagues. So it is very important that skill development continues, and that is certainly a big priority for Hockey Canada. Is the type of helmets, mouth guard, do those make a difference in terms of what the research shows? That's a great question, Jola. We're doing quite a bit of work in, in ice hockey as well as other helmeted sports to better understand the risk that's associated with the way that a helmet is fit. And uh, there's some preliminary evidence to suggest that that is an important feature to protect against concussion. And then further to that, we have certainly some very strong evidence now in ice hockey to support the protective effect of mouth guards. And, uh, and so we know that in all collision sports, that mouth cards are not mandated. And uh, this is something that we're developing very strong evidence across quite large cohorts and multi-year cohort studies to support the fact that mouth guards are protective of concussion in sports such as ice hockey. I just want to pause. If we go up to the 30,000 foot view of keeping kids safe, there's a lot of people who say that we're kind of bubble wrapping our kids and that we're overly protective. How do you balance that belief while still trying to prevent severe injury and concussion in sport, you know, but still letting kids stay active and, and keep them having fun? Well, I can start with that. I think when we were looking at concussion and injury rates in 11 and 12 year olds that were similar to what we see in the NHL, it's not acceptable. And arguably, we need to look at strategies so that our kids can be competitive, they can play the sports that they love and keep them on the ice. It's arguably not appropriate to have 11 and 12 year old kids on the ice, different sizes of players and and learning the skill of body checking in at that, that young age when their decision-making capacity isn't optimal. And arguably, there are a number of different strategies that, that we can look at to consider the protection against concussion at those early age groups so these kids can still continue to play and perhaps have a chance of, of being the survivors who aspire to uh, the dream of playing in a more elite level of play. I would argue that it's the exact opposite to bubble wrapping the kids. 
Would you, I guess my question is, I have a toddler and I'm starting to think about, okay, what sports to put him in? And would you put, pull your kids into less concussion prone activities? Yeah, both my kids did play ice hockey. And I don't think I would have changed that. That was their passion at the time. And I think that it's important to let the kids gravitate to the sports that that they're drawn to and that they love. And I think that it is important to have a variety of opportunities. I think it brings up also the notion, though, of, of allowing your kids to try different sports and see what they do love to play. And uh, and actually, you know, our kids that are seven and eight year olds probably don't need to be playing ice hockey uh, 12 months a year. Give them an opportunity to develop other fundamental movement skills that are not just in one sport. And certainly there's building evidence around the importance of, of reducing sports specialization early and giving our kids the opportunity to play in multiple sports. Yeah, I think you nailed it, Carolyn. It's, um, kids want to play the sports that they love and they're passionate about. And so I think just trying to keep them safe uh, and keep them uh, injury-free so they can continue to participate in the sports that they love is really important. Uh, but you made a great point that it's great to give your kids opportunities in different sports to try different things, find out what they like, what they don't like, or what they want to continue with, and absolutely develop other fundamental skills other than one sport year-round, especially at the younger age groups. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jola. Thank you, Blair. Thanks so much for having us. Paul Eliason is a postdoctoral fellow at the Sports Injury Prevention Research Center at the University of Calgary. And Carolyn Emery is a physiotherapist, epidemiologist, and Canada Research Chair at the University of Calgary. All right, Jola, when your son grows up, is he going to be checking in hockey? Uh I like to joke that in this family, we're mathletes, not athletes. It's completely <laughs> a joke. Um, because I grew up playing sports. I would really want him to do sports if he shows interest in it. I feel like playing sports at a young age shows you discipline, um, helps you to also develop confidence. And if it's hockey that your child is interested in, I think it would be great to be able to introduce it to them, but also to keep safe. Yeah. And what well, what do you think about this staged sort of approach to physical contact where there's still some physical contact, but not the full body check? So I think for me, uh, after listening to Paul and Carolyn and reading their research, I don't I don't think personally I would put my child in a contact sport. I don't think it's worth it for them to be exposing themselves to harm when at the end of the day, you know, they're probably going to have a boring job like be a doctor. So (laughs) I'm not sure if to me, I don't think that that's worth it. And not just hockey, but any other sport that has a lot of high level contact like rugby or lacrosse. Right. And then there are those other sports where maybe it's not as common to get a concussion, but a lot of performance skiers, um, you know, there's a lot of sports out there where kids are still getting head injuries. And I think it's hard as an emergency doctor, I'm sure for family doctors, it, it's tough to kind of keep all the the best advice to give parents um, at the tip of your tongue. A lot of the time parents want to know uh, a lot of details about post-concussion care. And it's sort of For me, I feel like it's often too early for me to get into that with them because I'm seeing them on day one of their head injury. Um, And I I always get a little bit uncomfortable around concussion advice. I feel like we could still find uh, a better way to 
to be able to give that information succinctly and and clearly. I would say that some of the um, points that came out from our conversation that we all as, you know, caregivers, as physicians can keep in mind is that, you know, the that there's some good research around and they're working on the research around helmets and mouth guards, not just hanging from the mouths of the players, because I've seen that, (laughs) but actually in the mouth of the players that they could help reduce the risk of concussions. If your child is still interested in doing contact in sports, those are some of the mitigating uh, factors that could be in play. Yeah. And I think mitigating factors is sort of the key key term there because there's not really controversy anymore around the dangers of checking in this age group. It's more about how do we keep kids safe while still sort of advancing them to be able to check when they're uh, of a safer age uh, in a safe manner. That's it for this week on the CMAJ podcast. Tune in in two weeks for our next episode. In the meantime, we'd really appreciate it if you could share this podcast wherever it is you download your audio. I'm Blair Bigham. I'm Mojala Mole, and until next time, be well.